You can guarantee, can't you, when you go to the effort of creating a visual focus aimed at children, that the children all go on holiday. But we are all children of God, as I have said many and many a time, and will continue to say many and many a time. Um, Inside each one of us is actually that little girl or that little boy that used to enjoy whatever it was we used to enjoy, that we now think, well, we really shouldn't do that because we're grown up. I can remember two years ago, nearly, not quite two years ago, coming in here one Thursday or Friday morning in the summer. It was a Thursday. I have reasons why I can remember it's a Thursday. And the place was empty. And I just spun myself round like little children spin themselves round because I could and because it was fun. Inside every one of us, that child who longs to do something is still there. And maybe, just maybe, over summer, we can let that child free just a little bit. We are here to worship God, who is the parent of all of us and all people who have lived and who will live. And so let us take a moment of stillness to become aware of being in God's presence. Out of the storm, the Lord spoke to Job. Who are you to question my wisdom with your ignorant, empty words? Now... Stand up straight and answer the questions I ask you. Who closed the gates to hold back the sea when it burst forth from the womb of the earth? It was I who covered the sea with clouds and wrapped it in darkness. I marked a boundary for the sea and kept it behind bolted gates. I told it, so far... And no further. Here, your powerful waves must stop. And now let's come to God in prayer. Let us pray together. Creator God, we bring you our prayers in the name of Jesus, your living word, through whom all things were made. We thank you today for weather, for sunshine that warms our faces and makes us glad, for rain that fills rivers and reservoirs and refreshes the land, for wind that blows the clouds along and cools us when we are too hot. We thank you for weather but sometimes it worries us too. If there is too much sun and not enough rain, the plants wither and crops are destroyed. If there is too much rain, fields and homes are flooded, businesses lost. If there is too much wind, trees are torn down and buildings destroyed. This puzzles us, God, that something so good can also be so bad. But when we pause to think about ourselves and our lives, it's just the same. 
so much that is lovely and good and so much that is ugly and bad. And sometimes too much that we think is good can lead to something that is bad, leaving us confused and bruised. Creator God, as we meet today to worship you, calm our hearts and still our minds. Warm us afresh with your love. Blow away the cobwebs of sin that cling. And refresh us all for lives of service as we follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Amen. The psalm for today is Psalm 107, which we're going to read responsively. And I'm continuing my pattern of mixing it up a little bit to keep us on our metaphorical toes. If they, there are words printed in bold, we all say them together. The words in italics will be those with autumn and winter birthdays. You can decide whether yours is an autumn or winter birthday or not. And the words in plain are those with spring and summer birthdays. I'm an autumn and winter, so just so you know, when I'm speaking, that's the autumn and winters. Let's share in this psalm of praise to God. Shout praises to the Lord. He is good to us, and his love never fails. Everyone the Lord has rescued from trouble should praise him. Everyone he has brought from the east and the west the north and the south. Some of you meet the living, for I see them in the mighty sea, and you saw the miracles the Lord performed there. At his command, a storm arose, and waves covered the sea. You were tossed to the sky, and to the ocean depths, until the winds were so bad that you lost your courage. You staggered like drunkards, and gave up all hope. You were in serious trouble, but you prayed to the Lord, and he rescued you. He made the storm stop, and the sea be quiet. You were happy because of this, and he brought you to the port where you wanted to go. You should praise the Lord for his love, and for all the wonderful things he does for all of us. Honour the Lord when you and your leaders meet to worship. We have two portions of scripture to read in the service this morning. And the first of them is in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And we're going to read from verse 1 to verse 13. In our work together with God then, we beg you who have received God's grace not to let it be wasted. Hear what God says. When the time came for me to show you favour, I heard you. When the day arrived for me to save you, I helped you. Listen, this is the hour to receive God's favour. Today is the day to be saved. We do not want anyone to find fault with our work, so we try not to put obstacles in anyone's way. Instead, everything we do Sorry, in everything we do, 
we show that we are God's servants by patiently enduring troubles, hardships and difficulties. We have been beaten, imprisoned and mobbed. We have been overruled and gone without sleep or food. By our purity, knowledge, patience and kindness, we have shown ourselves to be God's servants. By the Holy Spirit, our true love, by our message of truth and by the power of God. We have righteousness as our weapon, both to attack and to defend ourselves. We are honoured and disgraced. We are insulted and praised. We are treated as liars, yet we speak the truth. As unknown, yet we are known by all, as though we were dead. But as you see, we live on. Although punished, we are not killed. Although saddened, we are always glad. We seem poor, but we make many people rich. We seem to have nothing, yet we really possess everything. Dear friends in Corinth, we've spoken frankly to you. We've opened our hearts wide. It is not we who have closed our hearts to you. It is you who have closed your hearts to us. I speak now as though you were my children. Show us the same feeling that we have for you. Open your hearts wide. And the second lesson comes from Mark's Gospel. It's much shorter than the first one. It begins at chapter 4, verse 35. And it's in, under the heading, Jesus Calms a Storm. On the evening of that same day, Jesus said to his disciples, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they left the crowd. The disciples got into the boat in which Jesus was already sitting, and they took him with them. Other boats were there too. Suddenly a strong wind blew up, and the waves began to spill over into the boat, so that it was about to fill with water. Jesus was in the back of the boat, sleeping with his head on a pillow. The disciples woke him up and said, Teacher, don't you care that we are about to die? But Jesus stood up and commanded the wind. Be quiet, he said to the waves, be still. The wind died down and there was a great calm. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Why are you frightened? Have you still no faith? But they were terribly afraid and said to one another, Who is this man? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Amen. May God bless these lessons from his word. I think it's fair to say that the last few weeks we have been reminded very forcibly of the power and unpredictability of weather. There are parts of Britain, particularly in the south of England, where until recently there were hosepipe bans and drought conditions. Those same places are now awash with muddy water and raw sewerage as drains and rivers are overwhelmed. Roads disappear under feet of muddy water and crops are ruined as fields are flooded. Extreme weather and the damage it causes is very much in our thoughts. Whether we're thinking of those close at home or those in faraway nations, 
where tropical storms, hurricanes, heat waves or severe droughts wreak havoc, causing loss not only of livelihoods, but also of life itself. We are very fortunate. We live in the comparative wealth and safety of a Western city. We have good infrastructure. I suspect everybody here has home insurance, so that if our homes were flooded, whether by the rain or the people upstairs leaving a tap on, we are protected. I suspect, if we're honest, in the last few weeks, whilst we may have experienced some inconvenience, actually we haven't suffered any real harm. However, the reality is that for many people here, life will be stormy, metaphorically speaking. And so it's quite useful today, I think, as we come to this gospel reading and focus upon it, that it's the metaphorical storms that actually are our focus. I could have gone with the physical weather stuff, but I chose not to, to go with a more metaphorical and a logical approach. And I think that sort of connects better with the Corinthians, which I'm not going to preach on, that talks about some of the difficulties of life. So we're kind of going to work through Mark's account of the story, pausing and relating it to ourselves. And I'm going to start, as is my want, by asking you a question. I wonder if you have ever done something that really, really frightened you as you approached it. Maybe some of you have dived into a swimming pool from a high board. How did that feel the first time you stood on the edge of that umpteen metre board and looked down? There will be people here who are afraid of flying and have needed to get into an aeroplane to go on holiday or on business. Maybe it was going on a zip wire or in a cable car or on a motorbike. Something you were going to do that you needed to do or that you wanted to do, but it frightened you. How did that feel? The reason I asked that question is I think that for at least some of Jesus' disciples, climbing into that boat that would carry them across Lake Galilee overnight when it was dark would have felt something like that. Historians tell us that first century Jews were terrified of the sea. The the sea represented chaos and destruction, and very few, even amongst the sailors and fishermen, could swim. So in Jesus' group of 12, we understand there were four people who had earned their lives as fishermen, and they would have had a deep respect for the sea they would know the power of the sea to overwhelm or overturn small boats, often with loss of life. And all of them, having grown up in the area around Galilee, would have known just how unpredictable the weather conditions were there. They didn't have Michael Fish to tell them there was no hurricane coming when there was. But the reality is, 
they could get caught out just as much as he and we did, and for them, often with tragic consequences. So here we are then. We have Jesus sitting in a boat. We have his 12 newly selected apprentices to whom he's talked about the kingdom of God being like a mustard seed or an ordinary seed packed full of potential. And he says, right, come on then, in the boat, we're going over there. Get into the boat. Take your courage in both hands and do it. Make a choice to come with me. Knowing that that's risky, but trusting that it'll be okay. I think that's what people do when they got on aeroplanes to go on holiday and they're afraid of flying. I think that's what people do when they get on a zip wire because they want the thrill that will come from doing it, and so on and so forth. There was something about Jesus that compelled them to get into that boat, to take the risk to go onto that sea as it was getting dark, not knowing what was going to happen, but trusting that it would be okay, it would work out. So, the 13 of them were in the boat. And night drew on, it got darker, and Jesus settled down to sleep in the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. Mark's not a great one for flowery language or adjectives. So it must be quite important to him that Jesus had his head on a cushion. This is, you know, just supreme comfort. Jesus is sleeping. Maybe he's snoring, who knows? Nobody ever tells us whether Jesus snored or not. I wonder who was steering the boat. I wonder if it was a sailing boat or a rowing boat, and if so, who looked after the sails or the oars? Who rested? Who kept watch, peering into the darkness to see if there were other boats around, because we're told there were other boats around, or other obstacles that they might collide with? Who was holding onto the side, feeling a bit green? And time passed, and the waves grew stronger, and the wind began to blow, and the little boat was tossed and buffeted. And I imagine the twelve were clinging on to the side of that boat, and I suspect their stomachs were turning a bit as the conditions worsened. And their faces became white or green. And maybe some of them threw up over the side. And they were worried that they were going to be swept overboard. This was scary stuff. And what was Jesus doing? Fast asleep, his head on a pillow, seemingly unaware of everything that's going on. I wonder how you would have felt if you'd been in that boat. I wonder what thoughts would have gone through your mind. You would be drenched in cold water, your clothes clinging to your skin. I wonder, if you're honest, how terrified you would have been as the boat rolled and pitched 
And maybe you lost your grip on the side just for a moment. Waves up here, wind howling around you. And you force yourself to turn around. And you see Jesus, sound asleep, like a little baby being rocked in a cradle. How would you have felt? The disciples, to put it mildly, were aghast. Here they were, every single one of them, Jesus included, at risk of drowning, the worst possible death they could imagine. All their fears being realised, this new adventure over before it's begun. And Jesus is asleep. Very strange. So reaching across to where he lay, some of them shook him to wake him up. Uh, I imagine they had to shake him quite hard from the sound of things because he was clearly in a nice, deep sleep. And they would be shouting over the howling wind, straining to get their voices heard. And they address him quite angrily. Look, we're all going to drown. Don't you care? You're not bothered. You're going to drown. We're going to drown. It seems quite a reasonable reaction to me. Quite a natural one. And if we dare to be honest with ourselves and not kind of pious and pretentious, I think we'd be like that. Don't you care, Jesus? This boat's about to go over and it's all going to be over. So let's go back to the analogy. Each of us has, metaphorically speaking, stepped into a boat with Jesus. As individuals in our own faith stories, as members of the churches of which we are part, and particularly here in the Good Ship Hillhead Baptist Church. And as we stepped into that boat, as we began that journey, we had some idea of what was involved. We knew something about the risks. But Jesus' charisma somehow drew us to get into the boat. And, you know, when we started off, it was quite nice, really. Just bobbing along, see the shore, people waving us off. It was all very lovely. And then we got further out. And we settled down. We found patterns of working and being. The journey was okay. We kind of knew there was a rhythm. It was all right. And we moved on. And then the storms began. The storms of life. Illness. Redundancy or threat thereof. Financial worry. Family problems, bereavement, failure, doubt, confusion. But we clung on. We stayed in the boat. We clung on to our personal faith and our shared faith. And the storms got worse and worse and worse. And we became increasingly disorientated, confused, bemused, angry, afraid, whatever it was we felt. And where was Jesus? Sound asleep in the back of the boat. It wasn't that he had left us. It wasn't that he had jumped ship and found somebody better to travel with. 
And it wasn't that we had done something so sinful that God was punishing us. Jesus was there all the time. But he was asleep. Didn't he care what was happening to us? Didn't he care what was going on in our lives and how much we were struggling and how painful or frightening it was, how angry we were? Didn't it matter to him that we might all drown? You see, if we are honest, sometimes as individual Christians and as local churches, it can feel not just that Jesus is asleep, but that he's jumped ship. And sometimes people say to us, oh, well, you know, if you carry on that way, Jesus won't want anything to do with you. But here we have in Scripture this picture of Jesus right in the middle of the storm. He, too, is soaked in icy water. His clothes are clinging to him. His hair is slicked against his skin. Calmly sleeping. He didn't jump ship. Maybe sometimes we need to remember that. But maybe also, actually, we need to wake him up. To shout at him and say, come on, Jesus, wake up. I think one of the dangers is we are very busy and very good being polite. (laughs) And pretending that, oh no, I'm not frightened, I'm not angry, I'm not sad, of course not. We'll just keep going. And perhaps because of that, we leave Jesus sound asleep and surrender ourselves to the inevitable. When one wave too many sweeps our feet from under us and we are carried overboard. Or perhaps we just think, well, we're going to drown, okay, whatever, we give up. I wonder if sometimes we need the wake-up call. A wake-up call to be honest with Jesus about how it is for us. To stop pretending it will all come right if we wait long enough or pray hard enough or read our Bibles more. Perhaps we need to get down on our knees in the back of that boat and yell at Jesus and say, Look, Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care what's happening in my life, in my church, in your world? We're all going to drown. Once Jesus has been woken up, he stands up and he speaks. Desist. Stop it. Be still. And it's so. We can rationalise this to our heart's content. We can say, well, yes, of course, Galilean squalls abate as quickly as they start. But that doesn't get us around the fact that as Jesus spoke... It happened. Everything became calm. Echoes of the Job with which we began. Now, the reality is in life it doesn't always happen as neatly as that. Sometimes we pray and pray as honestly as we can and it seems the storm gets worse. That Jesus is still, perhaps, asleep. 
that sick person for whom we pray gets worse or dies. The situation that caused us heartache isn't resolved. The bills mount up and there is no sign of a job. There isn't an easy answer to that. There is just a dogged commitment to carry on believing that Jesus is with us in the storm. We need to trust that whilst for some reason he is not going to restore a flat calm, he is also not going to abandon us. That somehow together, he and we will weather the storm and in God's time arrive on the far shore. We must be very careful not to trip into the trap of twee platitudes that don't work. We've all prayed for people who were ill and they died. We've all supported people through tough times. People of great faith, people of great righteousness, people of great grace, and nothing has changed. Let's not pretend otherwise. But we trust, even if it means clinging on with our fingertips, that Jesus is with them and with us. And so the story ends with Jesus asking his disciples two questions. Why are you afraid? Don't you have any faith? Those poor disciples, they're soaked to the skin. They're bedraggled, they're wet, they're terrified. The storm might have stopped, and now Jesus tells them off. Or does he? You see, we always hear those words as a rebuke. But I wonder, I actually wonder how Jesus said them. Why are you frightened? What is it that's causing your fear? Were you frightened that you'd be swept away and drowned? Is that what was worrying you? Were you worried that your family would be left destitute with no one to provide for them? Is that what it was? Did you think I was going to leave you to die? Is that what frightened you? What is it that made you frightened? And I think he asked the same question of us. What is it you're frightened of? Are you frightened of dying? Or frightened of living? Are you frightened of failing? Or frightened of succeeding? Are you frightened of being rejected or humiliated? Are you frightened of loving or giving? Jesus looks every single one of us in the eye and says, What is it you're frightened of? What is it that makes you so scared in the storms of life? And then he says, don't you have any faith? Are you looking for absolute certainty? Are you looking for a life free from risk? Do you want a life jacket and lifeboats and actually preferably that the boat doesn't ever leave the harbour? Or are you going to put your trust, your faith in me? Many better theologians than I have said that the opposite of faith isn't doubt. It's certainty. If we have certainty, 
if we know absolutely we're going to get to the other side of the lake without any problems, we don't need to have faith. Faith is proven within the uncertainty of the storm. Take the risk of stepping into the boat. Sail with the Jesus who shares the storm and is unperturbed by it. Shake him awake with your honest fears, honest questions, your honest desires. Let him speak calm to your soul as he says, what is it that frightens you? And then, look him in the eye and answer his question. Will you put your faith in me? We bring to God our prayers for others. Let us pray. Lord of love, who calls each one of us by name to travel with you. We pray for all who have heard your voice and who have made the decision to follow you, but who still stand hesitant upon the shore, longing to throw in their lot with you, to take that next step into baptism, or into church membership, or into some new form of service, but are fearful of where that leap of commitment will take them. Following you more faithfully may take us into situations that we'd rather avoid, situations in which we are out of our depth, where we can no longer delude ourselves that we are in control of our own destiny. Following you may make demands on our lives that we're not sure we're really prepared for. And that's scary. Lord, if we find ourselves in that position today, Help us to place our trembling hand in your outstretched hand. Feel your steadying arm around us and gladly step on board. Lord of the wind and waves, we pray for all who find themselves in the midst of the storms of life for those who are going through treatment for serious illness, for those whose job is under threat or who are unable to find work, for those who are struggling with the increasing restrictions and vulnerability of old age, for those who are engulfed by grief, 
for those who have discovered that the plans they had for their life are very fragile and are facing an uncertain future. Sometimes, Lord, we feel as if we are literally drowning in anxiety. In the midst of the storm, help us to lift our eyes even for a moment, Lord, and see that you are there, not observing our distress, not outside our heartbreak looking in, but with us through it all, feeling what we feel, weeping when we weep, and never letting us go Lord of the journey, we pray for this church family who have embarked on a voyage of discovery with you to find out what we can be, should be, as a community of your people in the 21st century. Yet sometimes we feel overwhelmed We just want to stop and get off the boat for a bit and feel the security of dry land under our feet. Why, we wonder, can't we just be as we were 30 years ago or 50 years ago? Yet, Lord, we know that our only real security is in travelling on with you. So renew our energy and grant us courage for the journey ahead. Keep us travelling with you through all the storms of life until we reach the safe haven of our eternal home. Amen. Lord of the storm, Lord of the stillness, as we leave this place, this place of stillness, and this time, this time of peace, send us out into the week ahead with all its storms and trials and with all its calm and stillness, knowing that you are with us and that we need no other protector than you our faithful, saving God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.